Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan. This is The Detail, and today, the coastal bypass, which has been in the works for nearly 150 years, but last month stalled yet again. So where to next for Transmission Gully? But first, let's go on a quick trip through the modern history of the safer and faster route connecting Wellington to the Kapiti Coast, starting in 2008. There are concerns there may be further delays for the Transmission Gully route or road route. This was 2009. After decades of hand-wringing and uncertainty, some of those directly affected by the Transmission Gully roading project north of Wellington are expressing relief that a final decision has been made. This was 2011, 2012, 2013 and 2015. The government is fast-tracking the $1 billion proposal that's been around for decades. Business leaders are applauding the confirmation the billion-dollar Transmission Gully project will go ahead. That road up the Transmission Gully is timely. Uh, we won't have it to 2017, probably at the very earliest. Well, generations have waited for it. Now work is ramping up on Wellington's major new road, Transmission Gully. And this was three weeks ago. The Transport Agency is ditching this year's November deadline, blaming the COVID lockdown. The NZTA are still negotiating a new completion date. The Transmission Gully Road was first greenlit in 2012, but nearly eight years later it's still up in the air. So what's happened? Why has it failed to get off the ground? And will it get built one day? We all know the idea for a road to connect Linden and North Wellington to Paikakariki on the Kapiti Coast has been tossed around for a pretty long time, but the actual length of time might surprise you. The first serious surveys that were made of the route were actually done in the 1870s. That's Gabor Toth, a New Zealand history specialist at Wellington City Libraries. However, this wasn't for a road. This was for a possible uh, route for a railway line out of Wellington. So what had happened is this, this line was established by a private firm the Wellington to Manawatu Railway Company. For the start of it, an extraordinary feat of engineering, they managed to cut a line out of Wellington running up what's now the Mayo Gorge. And this section of the route, of the, route the rail route, remains today as the Johnsonville uh, railway line. Now, they pushed the line, the railway line as far north as Porirua. And the question then was, how was the line going to, the railway line going to proceed to Kapiti? And to give them, you know, different options, what we now know as Transmission Gully was actually surveyed as a possible route. But the decision was taken uh, rather to, to follow the route, largely following State Highway 1 as it does today. This became the first deposit into the now brimming font of Transmission Gully excuses. Firstly, the company may have actually been put off by the route based on their experiences of cutting the Johnsonville line through. I mean, lots of tight corners, lots of steep gradients, and these really pushed the limit at which you could get a train up a slope um, without its wheels slipping. Now, the other reason which I think has some validity is that some of the directors who were invested in the railway company also owned blocks of land along the coastal route. Uh, John Plimmer is a good example. Now, he, he was a significant figure in Wellington's business community during the uh, Victorian era. And he owned quite a few acres of flat coastal land just north of Porirua Harbour, which he hoped to subdivide and sell off. He had a vested interest in getting the railway line to follow the coastal route rather than the inland transmission gully route. But John Plimmer did understand one thing. This is very difficult terrain to build a road through. Transmission Gully is, well, it's a gully. 
the clues in the name, and gullies are ravines formed over millions of years by the flow of water over land. They're really hard to build through. The plan at the moment is to build a road, 27 kilometres long, which runs through steep forested terrain, up hillsides and over large swathes of undevelopable land. The project involves the construction of some 25 extra structures along the route too, like bridges and interchanges. Engineers and contractors will shift some 8 million cubic metres of dirt. They're effectively cutting the tops off hills in the area to fill in the gullies. So what's the point of this road, considering State Highway 1 already connects Wellington to the Kapiti Coast? Up until the 1980s, it really sat on the back burner and, and was largely forgotten about. Now, I mean, with improvements in the existing road, State Highway 1, it was actually able to handle most traffic volumes, you know, through the 1980s. But up until when we get to the early 1990s, and then we start to see a lot of increased housing development up on the Kapiti Coast, um, that peak time and holiday traffic really started to jam up. There are significant delays northbound heading out of Wellington along the Kapiti Coast this afternoon as holidaymakers leave the city. And the other thing which was a lot of people started to think about at that point was... Um, Seismic risk, seismic activity. Now, the, the coastal part of the Centennial Highway would be at risk of being buried by a hillside collapse in the event of a severe earthquake. So finding an alternative route out of Wellington started to become a serious consideration. And the other thing that actually really started to get a lot of public attention at around this time was the sheer number of traffic accidents. Taking a look at the traffic now, and if you're heading out of town, a truck's rolled in the northbound lane just past the Porirua off-ramp, causing big delays. Police are advising commuters to delay their travel for at least a couple of hours. And a lot of them fatal. Um, along the current route because most of the route at that point had no central um, median barrier. But essentially traffic volumes by this point had started to increase by about uh, 2 to 3% per year. Drivers travelling between the Kapiti Coast and Wellington are facing more delays with another round of repairs on State Highway 1 this afternoon. And so they started you know, really seriously looking for a solution. The estimated costs that they had back then were a fraction of what they were later to become. In fact, it sounds like a veritable bargain. They were talking at about 160 million. Um, I mean, there was a there was a big hoo ha when they announced, no, no, 160 isn't going to be enough. We might have to take it up to 210 million. <laughs> um, when we think about the figures that are that are being paid out now, it's uh, it's remarkably low. Yeah, remarkably low, given the cost has now ballooned to close to a billion dollars. These discussions were happening in the mid-90s. Political buy-in happened in the late 2000s, and big-time public consultation happened in 2008 for this iteration of the road. Dilipa Fonseca is a political reporter with Newsroom. It's basically supposed to be an um, alternative route, uh, I guess, in Wellington and a more resilient one uh, to the one that currently exists. And so that's why it goes inland as opposed to across the coast. Of course, the benefits of the project itself have been controversial because I think the kind of cost-benefit analysis that was done on just the transmission gully part of it was less than one, which means that you get sort of a less than a dollar return for every dollar that you invest in it. But when it was assessed as part of a kind of larger, broader 
Wellington Northern Corridor, it was kind of seen together. All these various sort of roads that were planned to go ahead were, you know, tasked as a road of road of national significance, and um, they together delivered were seen as delivering benefit greater than one. Yes. What is the history behind it? When was it first sort of officially greenlit? Well, it was consented in 2012, and um, they sort of first started kind of looking into it in the um, sort of around 2008 was when they had sort of produced a report that had concluded that this was something that was worth investigating as a part of a Wellington Northern Corridor project. The agreements and things were signed off by 2014. They'd all kind of been signed off and, you know, had been consented. So construction has been happening in uh, various forms for a number of years. Um, in between, you've had different movements of the companies being sold and um, so forth. And it was all basically supposed to be finished by April 2020, which obviously um, it hasn't been, uh, as, as you can probably tell by now. One of the problems Transmission Gully has always faced is the cost. At this point, the price tag sits around $850 million. And given the risk involved, public authorities like the New Zealand Transport Agency balked at taking on that liability up front. So it turned to a different model, public-private partnership. If you think of your traditional situation, you know, if NZTA decided to build a road um, in and of itself, it would decide that it wants to build roads, say a new highway, then it would procure for the project. So it would try and get a construction firm um, to bid for, you know, this contract, and then it would pay this construction firm to build it. A public-private partnership sort of turns that on its head because, um, you know, NZTA in this instance might decide it wants to build the road, but it doesn't put up any money of its own up front. What it does is it gets a private partner that's normally some kind of investment bank who's normally in some kind of um, partnership with a construction firm, gets them to basically raise the money themselves to build it and organize the construction themselves with the idea that after it's constructed, and in the case of Transmission Gully, what the agreement is is that for the 25 years after um, it's constructed, this um, this partnership will basically operate this road. So they will get paid uh, by the government while they, you know, for operating it, and then they will also take care of any sort of repairs and things that, um, substantial repairs that might need to be done on the road. I mean, the idea of it is, if you agree with this idea that Transmission Gully is a very risky project to build, you would be thinking that, during such a project, there's a high risk of there being cost blowouts, for example. And if NZTA were building it and were procuring it, then basically they would be obliged to fork out for these um, you know, blowouts as they, as they happened. If you think that there's something like that is going to happen, you get a public-private partnership along. Um, they effectively take on the risks of any sort of you know, cost blowouts and things. And the idea is if it's over a long period of time, then maybe there's an incentive for them to, um, you know, build this road properly so that it has a lower cost to repair or, or, or replace elements of it. Some people say that this public-private partnership element of it has kind of compounded some of these problems because effectively in these, these agreements that form these partnerships are very, very long and they um, are built to basically um, account for a lot of different eventualities. So it's given the private partners, uh, from what uh, I understand, 
a few ways to sort of get out of it because of the various um, things that have arisen around um, COVID-19 and being locked out of the site. And um, it's also, I guess, a lot of the construction issues that have popped up have also made it difficult for them to be able to get a good return out of their investment from what I understand because effectively they only get the return over 25 years after this road is built and if for example there are things that pop up um, later on the later on in the road's lifespan that means that it has to be replaced or um, you know sections of it have to be replaced for you know at great cost then um, you know that obviously chips into the amount of money that they're expecting to um, get back at the end of it one of the other consequences of this is um, that involving a, a PPP also means involving a whole lot of lawyers and dicey legal situations when unforeseen events like COVID come along. And that seems to be happening now. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the sort of legal complications that are happening at, at the moment? Yeah, so from what we understand, there are multiple um clauses and it's not 100% clear exactly in what configuration that the partnership or um, you know the the government are using in the negotiations but effectively if they are locked out from a site in the case of a natural disaster or um, for some other reason there is an ability for the people who are building this um, to walk away from this agreement and that is controversial, um, you know, in this uh, instance, because effectively you've now got a road which is sort of partially built. So is, is the government seriously going to let it remain, you know, half built? Um, and would they want to wear the embarrassment of that? Or um, are they going to have to somehow negotiate something so that the road gets finished? And uh, in a public-private partnership, you sort of can be put in that kind of a position, um, even if technically the risk is levied onto your private partners. Is there also an issue brought on by COVID of the actual people who are going to be doing this work? I mean, is there going to be a shortage of labourers who are actually able to work on this project? Yeah, so there are workers who were locked out. There were Australian workers, because it was an Australian-led consortium, there were Australian workers who effectively returned home when the borders closed. And then there was also was a strong uh, Filipino workforce who um, were holidaying at the time uh, when the sort of pandemic broke out. So they were subsequently not let back in the country um, because they're not citizens or, um, or permanent residents. Mm-hmm. So um, there's laborers who are locked out and then there are um, managers and that kind of thing who also... Um, are in Australia or locked out of the site and these are people who probably have a you know number of years experience on the project so even with record high uh, unemployment likely to hit New Zealand it won't be easy to replace them just like that. But the PPP model isn't the only problem. The transport agencies admitted that sections of Wellington's billion dollar motorway project Transmission Gully have needed to be relayed after an error. On Monday, the agency said the completion date had been extended into next year, exceeding its current November deadline. There are sort of three essential parts to a road. One is the subsoil, uh, if you like, which has the key issue there is to make sure that the subsoil 
can drain away any water that comes down, you know, through rain or um, other kind of weather events because you don't want water building up beneath the road. So what they normally do is they install drainage through perforated pipes, so pipes with holes in them uh, effectively, which would be able to absorb the water and then it's pushed out into, you know, um, other waterways and things like that where they can safely offload the water. Then there's a sort of layer, what I guess some people call the road base, above that where it's uh, you basically getting a whole bunch of rocks. Not just any rocks. It's been hard to source aggregate locally, and some of it's had to be hauled long distances as far away as Huntley, costing huge amounts in cartage. Tossing them all in and um, mixing it in with, a, um, in this case, a form of stabiliser. And on top of that, you get the sort of road surface, the asphalt or the chip seal. And what seems to have happened in this um, case is, uh, from what we've been told anyway, is that there was a machine which is effectively supposed to spread this stabilizing substance evenly across this road. And uh, for whatever reason, probably more um, in terms of cost and time efficiency, the machine that they used to do this, they altered it so that um, it would spread the stabilizer um, across a wider area, which would allow um, basically uh, a lot of the work to be done in a single pass um, of this machine across the road. And because they altered this machine and tried to um, do it over a wider area, um, what they perhaps didn't fully appreciate at the time was that at the outer edges of the um, machine as it was spraying, it was actually spraying a, uh, a spraying less of it, effectively, which means most of that um, stabilizing agent was concentrated in the middle of the road. And that is an issue for um, when it comes to road construction because um, most of your heavy vehicles like trucks and so forth travel on the outer lanes. That means th- those are the lanes which uh, you have to have actually the most uh, support. But it turns out that you know the way that it's sprayed, uh, they might not have the mo- uh, most support. And the next step, which is effectively to put the asphalt or the chip seal surface, um, if they put that over the, the top of it now... Um, it is much more prone to breaking up, um, I guess, or to having a um, you know lots of sort of bumps in the road, which would have mean that it would have to be replaced within a relatively short period of time. That, of course, for a company w- which is supposed to be building and operating for 25 years, would carry some big liabilities if they had to effectively replace it within a short time of building it. So, ultimately, when might we be able to take an inland ride from Wellington to Carpety? The official line is that it's well into 2021, but it's... uh, So, by that, I guess you'd be saying definitely the second half of 2021, officially. What we've been um, told is that actually the real date that's being discussed is 2022, and um, that's to allow for an extra season of earthworks. So the earthwork season runs roughly from about October to uh, April. That would allow them to fix uh, some of these issues that have um, arisen, including um, you know with a new experimental method that we understand that they are um, considering where it would basically involve Mexican uh, more rock to the you know road base that's already there. It's seen as experimental from what I understand because it hasn't actually um, been done in that way before. But if it does work, I guess the payoff is that actually the road could be delivered sooner than the second half of 2021. But I, I guess that's I guess that's going to be a wait and see on that front. 
The Wellington Gateway Partnership, which is overseeing the Transmission Gully project, has responded to some of the claims in that piece. It emphasises the motorway is still under construction and that testing and adjusting the structural layers of the road is a necessary and fundamental part of their quality control processes. It also says it's not planning on using any experimental procedures to develop the paving structure. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile phone every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, give us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansel and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Dalipa Fonseca and Gabor Toth. Ka kite anō. <laughs>